We're going to be in Psalms 22, and uh, so maybe kind of this is coming on my devotional life, but I think a lot of it's being impacted even just by what we're seeing in Afghanistan, just in our world today. And I do want to, you can't always preach to that, but at, at the same time, we do want to address things that are happening in our world and that are impacting us, right? And so last week was chapter 10 of Psalms, and I, I said, you know, usually I say this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture, right? And last week I said, it's not, right? In fact, when I read that a couple weeks earlier, it's kind of like, man, I hated what Psalms 10 was because I, I see it lived out, how, how people sometimes that are at disadvantage are, t- are abused, their life is taken. And you know that that is happening in Afghanistan, whether it's because they're a lady or whether it is because of their Christian beliefs um, or that of who they've been allied with, right? Uh, you know that it's happening, but not only there. We know in Sudan there was two Catholic nuns that lost their life um, a week ago. And, and so it's happening in many parts of our world. And um, even, in our, even in our nation, there's, there's things that are happening and taking place that are that, that make your heart kind of cringe, right? So Psalms 10 dealt with that. And Psalms 22, the, both of these psalms are written by David, um, kind of uh, um, deals a little bit in that same thing, but maybe it takes it a step further. And it is called, some would maybe call it the Psalm of the Cross. And we're going to find out why, okay? The Psalm of the Cross. So Psalms 22 is where we're going to begin this morning. And uh, we're going to look at that. So before we dive in, let's uh, just just bow our heads in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day, Lord God. We thank you for the rain. And we thank you that we can be gathered together in your name to worship you, to magnify you. And I pray that you would speak to our hearts and our lives. Open up your word by your Holy Spirit. It is your living word, Lord. And I believe that as we just uh, study it today, and by your Holy Spirit, it becomes life to us. And it guides, it directs, it corrects, Lord, it strengthens it gives hope so do that this morning as we study your word we ask it in your name and everybody said amen psalms 22 and we're going to do the whole chapter but we're going to begin with verses 1 through 2 this morning so let's read that together my god my god why have you forsaken me who wrote this Who does it say? From the director of music to the tune of the doe of the morning, a psalm of, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Who said this? David wrote it, but who said it? Wow. Those exact words, didn't he? Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic, yeah. Same idea. You're going to find it in your Gospels. So he's not expressing a theological truth here, but he is expressing how he is feeling in the moment. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus even said that on the cross as he hung there. He said to the Father, God, why have you forsaken me? He wasn't expressing a theological truth, but Jesus was sharing in our suffering, in our pain, and he felt it. It's like, God, it feels like I can't sense your presence. It's a dark hour. And we would be wrong to think that that won't ever happen in our lives, that there's going to be times and moments in our life where it's kind of like, God, where are you? Have you forsaken me? Not a theological truth, but definitely expressing the feelings that the psalmist is feeling. Why are you so far from saving me? 
so far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out to you by day, but you do not answer by night, and I find no rest. You know, as I mentioned last week, there are times in the Christian life as a disciple that you wonder where God is at. Does He hear my prayers? Why hasn't He acted by now? Where is He in the midst of this difficult hour? David had these questions. And David is sometimes called the man after God's own heart. And God had His favor upon him. I mean, he takes out Goliath. He takes on a bear. You know, even in my best day, I don't think I'm going to take on a bear, okay? Unless I have... Okay, Gary, you know, unless I have a nice rifle with me, right? Right? Um, Not with my bare hands or a sling. I'm not going to take on a bear or a lion. But David did. And he took on Goliath with a sling, right? But God was with him. But even in some difficult moments, David would... After all those great events, and he would lose favor with Saul because God's hand was upon David, and, and Saul sensed that, and so he was insecure, and so he begins to try to harm David. In fact, for his own life, David would have to flee. He'd have to hide in caves. He would have to live off the land. Even one time, he had to pretend that he was insane so that they wouldn't take his life. He was doing everything he could to stay alive. And there was moments, there were times that he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You've called me to be king. Where is that promise, right? It's in those moments, this is the first principle, that we have to live by faith and not by feelings. Um, We have to live by faith. And you know what? Many times when you invite Christ into your life and you begin that journey, God, God works with you. Things kind of go kind of easy. Whoo, this is pretty good as a Christian, right? You're kind of just strolling along. And we sometimes think, oh, hey, this is the way it's always going to be. And then all of a sudden that first test comes along. It's kind of knocks us right off our bike, right? Right? If we're just kind of getting off those training wheels and all that. All of a sudden it's kind of like, what just hit us? Where is God right now? Right? And, And the reason why those tests come is because we have to know that we're not just walking by feelings but we're actually walking by faith in the promises of God. And it's only as we walk by faith that we grow in our relationship with God and we truly become people of faith. Um, And so God tests us. You know, the psalmist says, I find no rest. Um, The word there is silence in the Hebrew there. In other words, um, psalmist is saying there's no silence for me there's no rest for me because i'm dealing with these thoughts with these feelings and he says god why have you forsaken me you know and if we think well we could be hard on david you know he's going through depression difficulties or maybe we are but jesus himself would echo those words when he was on the cross you know it's it's amazing how david would write many of these psalms folks and uh, they would be put to music but they were prophetic. They would speak to events that would still take place, and Jesus would echo these very words as he hung on the cross. Let's look at number two, verses three through five. The psalmist kind of transitions here a little bit. He says, "You yet, that's an important word, yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. I may be feeling this way, but God, you're still on your throne. You always have been. And you're the one Israel praises. And you, our ancestors, put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. You've cried out 
To you they cried out and you were, they were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. So what's the psalmist doing there? He's saying, you know what, God, this is the way I'm feeling in verses 1 and 2. But he says, now he looks at history. He looks at God's past faithfulness. He says, you know what, God? They cried out to you. And you heard their prayers. You delivered them through the wilderness. You provided food, right? Manna and quail in the wilderness for a day or two, right? How long? A week? Month? Forty years. Forty years, folks, in the wilderness, He provided for them. He allowed them to cross the Red Sea. He crossed, and then later they would cross the Jordan River. They would take on enemies more powerful than them. More advanced, more people, better equipment, and God would go before them and defeat their enemies. God provided for them. You know, Scripture says that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And sometimes when we get in these difficult moments, we have to go back to, okay, God, this is what truth is, and even go back to moments in our life where God answered our prayers, right? And He was faithful, right? I've done that many times in my life. And, and what it does is kind of like, okay, God, you didn't desert me there. It seemed like it was a difficult time, but you, in the end, you came through and it all worked out. And those become the moments that we build upon and we say, you know what, God, I don't know how you're going to work this all out. But you, you worked it out in the past and I trust that you're going to work it out in the future as well, Right? And so the second thing is we have to, we have to rest upon God's faithfulness, right? His, his past, rest in God's past faithfulness. Rest in that. We may not know the answer. We may not know how it's all going to turn out, right? And sometimes we wear ourselves out trying to figure it all out. I don't know, God, I, we sometimes think God needs our help, right? Right? What about this way, God? What about this way, right? How about now, God? Right? And... Um, We have to rest in God's past faithfulness. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He's walking with you. Amen? And there will be times as a believer, as a disciple, where you will not feel, you will not see His presence. You're going to have to trust Him that He is with you. And see, that's how we grow as a disciple of Christ, as a believer, is in those moments. And we have to rest in God's past faithfulness. Whether the examples we see in Scripture, whether it's examples in our own life, um, you, you know, if as a young person, you know, just how God provided in our family, carried us through, those are examples. Verses 6 through 18. Psalmist now kind of goes into this, and I'm like, woe is me a little bit. I'm a worm and not a man. Scorned by everyone, despised by the people. Does it ever feel like that? <laughs> that everybody hates you? All right. All who see me mock me and hurl insults, shaking their heads. Now, I, I may, you know, maybe David, David had a lot of people at different times in his life as being king and things where they, that happened. But I don't think it was everybody. But that's the way it feels sometimes, doesn't it? Sometimes it feels like everything is turned against us. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Whoa, where is that found also? Is that only found in the Old Testament? No, that was echoed by some of the soldiers that were at the cross saying, Hey, you know, 
He says he's the son of God. Let God come and rescue him off the cross. See? Psalm of the cross. Verse 9, yet you brought me out of, this, out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you from my mother's womb, and you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no, um, there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me. So these are just, that's figurative language. The bulls of Bashan encircle me. So just powerful people and forces that are coming in to crush him and encircle him and destroy him. Roaring lions that tear their prey apart open their mouths wide against me. You know, and that, that is figurative language, but we know that Christians in the Colosseums that would, after the resurrection and the, the uh, day of uh, Pentecost and we know that the Roman persecution, that one of the ways they tried to intimidate Christians was to, to put them into the Colosseums for sport as the wild animals tore them apart, right? I'm poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. My mouth is dried like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. There again, some very direct references to the experience of Jesus on the cross, and they offered him the 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 water, you know, that had the myrrh in it, and um, he denied that. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircle me. They pierce my hands and my feet. Wow. So we don't ever know that this ever happened to David, but prophetically he is writing a song that later would be fulfilled as Jesus hung on the cross. Isn't that incredible? Hundreds of years before Jesus would walk this earth. All my bones are displaced. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast my lots for my garments. Is that not also found in the Gospels? As the soldiers gambled for his clothing. There again, just very prophetic. It's the Psalm of the Cross. Um, you just kind of go through this and you see all that depicted. And, and as I read this, it's kind of like, we don't know if all this happened to David. Some of it was prophetic. Some of it I think David was actually experiencing in his own life. But he's describing some of the events that are going on in, in his life. And then you look at the life of Paul, and you look at the life of others. All the disciples would die as martyrs. They would try to kill John. Uh, we mentioned that in our message in Revelation, but they, they, it didn't work. And so he dies in solitude on the island of Patmos. But one of the things you, you will realize as a Christian and as a disciple of Christ, and so the third principle I have here is to live as Christ. Paul will say that in Philippians, to live as Christ. What did Paul mean by that? To live is Christ. It, it means that if, as a disciple of his and living the Christian life, there will be times of suffering, there will be times of difficulty, and it isn't because you are doing wrong, it's not because God is judging you, it's because you are living uh, the Christ life, right? And all the disciples realized that when they were persecuted and when they were suffered for Christ, they rejoiced because they had partook in the sufferings of Christ. That is found in the book of Acts. They rejoiced. Paul says in Philippians 2.21, he says, um, to live is Christ and to die is gain. All right? And so he wrestles. 
he wrestles with the thought that, you know what, if I go on and do ministry that God has called me to do, it's going to mean more suffering. Okay? He was stoned. He was left for dead. He was a lot of places he had to leave on the run, leave for his life because they were trying to kill him. He goes, if I go on living, it is to live the Christ life. To die would be much better because I know I'm going to go to Christ and be with Christ and I don't have all the suffering and all the pain. Don't have to get up in the morning to my alarm clock. To live is Christ, to die is game. He knew that fruitful ministry waited ahead still for him, so he goes, I must keep on doing what Christ has called me to do. In Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. In the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is a powerful verse. If you don't have it memorized, that is on your to-do list for today. Okay, I'm assigning you. To, to live is Christ. And, and Paul realized that if he was going to glorify God, he had to die to himself. If you, if, as a Christian, if you think you, you can live for yourself and live for Christ and do both, you are going to be miserable. Right? You have to die to yourself. That doesn't mean you can't have ice cream on Sunday evening after church or you can't go out and play a game of golf or basketball do your hobbies. What it means is that I've surrendered my life to Christ. So I'm going to live a life that glorifies Him. I'm going to say no to temptation. I'm going to do what He's called me to do to be a disciple and to share Christ with people. I've died to myself. It's not all about me. I'm, I'm here to glorify Him. And Paul realized that I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives within me. And so that third point is to live is Christ. It means that we have to identify with Christ in his life and ministry. Sometimes it's going to bring us favor, but sometimes sometimes it means that it, people are going to make fun of us. Sometimes people are going to not hang out with us. Oh, they're Christians. So I'm just not going to maybe, I'm going to hang out with the cool people, right? It doesn't mean that you can't be a Christian and be cool, but, but there's going to be those times. You're maybe even going to have to stand alone if you're going to live for Christ. But in doing so, you identify with Christ, right? And that means that you're a true disciple of His. I've been using that word disciple a little more because I think there is a difference between inviting Christ into your life and being a disciple. To be a disciple means you're, you're going to learn under Christ and you're going to be like Christ in your life and all that you do. Amen? Number four, verses 19 through 21. I'm doing good here. All right. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to me to help me. Quick, right? I'm in misery. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of dogs. You know, in Scripture, dogs, you know, in our, in our culture, dogs, pets, you know, they're just kind of like, woo, they're held way up here, right? But you read through Scripture, that's usually not a good reference, right? And you go to third world countries, a lot of times, that is the case. Dogs are just not a good thing. They, they run the streets. They, they have them out there kind of for guard dogs and stuff like that. But they're really not pets, okay? It's just a whole different mindset, right? Okay. So you might have to adjust your perspective of this. 
verse 21. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions and save me from the horns of the wild oxen. So he's praying for deliverance there. You know, we don't know exactly what the psalmist is seeing, he, what he's hearing, what they are going through, but he remains confident in God's ability to save, deliver, and rescue. And he's calling out to God, right? He may feel like God has forsaken him, but he remembers the past. Hey, God, you did this, this, and this, and I know you're going to be there for me. And so he confidently calls out to God, say, God, rescue me, save me, deliver me, be here for me. So that's the fourth one, is confidently cry out to God. And I think there's a difference there between crying out to God and crying out confidently. Confidently means, you know what, I have confidence. I have the trust that God does hear me, even though there's no answer. Even though it's not on my time schedule, even though God isn't coming as quickly as I want Him to, God hears me. And in His time, He's going to take care of everything. And I I think, uh, you know, what keeps us from confidently crying out to God? What keeps us? Maybe we, we don't trust God as much as we thought we do. Maybe we, we think we are that worm he talks about, right? I'm not worthy. And sometimes we wrestle with that in our own heart. I'm not worthy, God. And none of us are worthy. Can we just put that to rest? None of you are worthy. I'm not worthy. You're not worthy. It's only because of Christ. He's redeemed us. He's saved us. His blood has covered over our sin. And if he's redeemed us, we are his son. We are his daughter. We are his child. And he loves us. And just as a father or mother would reach out to their son or daughter, God our Father is looking out for us, and He loves us. And you are worthy if you belong to Him. Amen? Maybe you needed to hear that today. Confidently call out to God. Hebrews, we read that last week. I think Aaron maybe read that, that we are to confidently come before the throne of grace to find help in our time of need because Jesus is our high priest. Amen? All right, verses 22 through 31. Let's take it home here. It says, I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob. What happened? We went from where God, where are you, to now what are we doing? Praising God. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, the descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him. But he has listened to the cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will, be, will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship, and all who bow down, who go down to the dust, will kneel before him. And those who keep themselves alive, who cannot keep themselves alive, prosperity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord, they will proclaim his righteousness declaring to a people yet unborn, He has done it. Wow. 
So this psalm starts out saying, God, where are you? And it ends with this proclamation of praise saying, God, you're on your throne. You always will be. You rule over the nations. And generation after generation, those that aren't even born will praise your name. And even those that go down to the dust that wouldn't declare your name or acknowledge you are going to bow down and worship you. Philippians talks about that. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen? He ends with praise. Now, what we don't know is, had God answered the psalmist's prayer at this point when he writes this? We don't know, do we? It could be that after he's thought things through, God's past faithfulness and who God is, he begins to praise him even though the answer isn't there. I'm going to have the musicians come. That's sometimes hard to praise God when the answer isn't there, isn't it? When you have the victory, when you have the answer to prayer, woo, right? Do the happy dance. But what about when you're still waiting? What about when the prayers seem to still go unanswered? The psalmist says, you know what? He's on his throne. He's going to be glorified and he's going to be lifted up. You know, and we, we look at life through our lens, through our viewpoint. And it's, it's just not very big, folks. We see through a lens dimly. He sees it all. He's God. We're not. His plans are much higher than our way of plans. His ways higher than our ways. We just see a glimpse. We don't get to see it all. I was going to walk... Um, Saturday morning at Mahoney State Park. It was we We're going to have our last session a little bit. And walked up the hill. And we we're kind of staying in some cabins, walk around, walked up the hill, and just realized that the sun was just starting to come up. I could see it through the trees. And so I walked, and I tried to find a spot where I could actually kind of see the sun. I kind of found a spot where I could kind of see it through the trees a little bit. And then I saw the observation tower. And I go, oh, that's not that far away. So I walked over there, walked up it. See, when I was down below, I could just see dimly. I could just see, because there was obstructions in the way, trees and things. When I got up there, I could see it all. I could see for miles, right? If you've been up there, you can see forever, it seems like. That's God's perspective. Our perspective, we're down in the trees, right? We just see dimly. We don't see it all. God sees it all. He has that perspective, and we have to trust Him. And so we can praise Him even though it doesn't make sense. And I'm just going to review my points here. Now, Surrey wants something here. We have to live by faith and not feelings. We have to rest in God's past faithfulness. Realize that to live is Christ as a disciple of His and confidently cry out to God, praise Him in the midst of the storm is the fourth one. I don't know if I gave that or not. Praise Him in the midst of the storm. You know, right now, just as we're here today, I have, yeah, I have a, a friend, a young man. He's a little bit younger than me, but he was in my youth group when I first got out of Bible college and took a youth group at Trinity Bible College and had all these professor kids. Man, they were just honorary kids. And Adam was one of the most honorariest. And, uh, but God called him. 
missionary in Dominican Republic, him and his wife and family. Um, but he's on a ventilator. He was put on a ventilator this past, probably about, it's going on day four probably. Um, I was, saw them at general council. Others, um, ICU. I had others that got it and they're on the other side of it. But Judy, Judy Bolliber, um, I can't pronounce her last name. So Judy and her husband, Vlad, they were missionaries to Russia, Ukraine. And uh, they were here with us. If you remember that meal with them, we had garlic. We had whole cloves of garlic and stuff. Uh, but Judy is, uh, has been fighting throat cancer. She's my cousin. But she's been fighting throat cancer, had several surgeries. And uh, she coded a couple times this week uh, just with some things. And uh, her life is really in the balance. If she doesn't have an answer to prayer, she won't be with us very long. And it's hard because you know that God still has, there's still work to be done where they're called to be, right? Um, had a missionary friend that I've taught with in the, in the Caribbean. He called up and he's retired kind of now. He still does some teaching, but he called up and just said that his son-in-law just got diagnosed with cancer in his back, lower back. And uh, is dealing with that and I think a man maybe in his 40s, maybe early 50s, um, just needs a touch of God. Maybe you even have your own people in your own life that, that just need God's answer to prayer this morning. And um, it seems like, man, I've just, there's been a lot of things that I've just, that have come and it's kind of like, wow, God, what are you about to do? It just seems like it's a little bit dark right now, Right? We need answers to prayer, amen. They're going to close us in that song, Raise a Hallelujah, but can we? Um, can you stand this morning? Um, I always give an opportunity just for a salvation prayer. If you don't know Christ as your Lord and your Savior and you, you don't have that hope of heaven, we're going to give that opportunity this morning just to, to pray together to, that you can know for sure, but also begin that journey of Christ, knowing Christ as your Lord and your Savior. And if that's you, if God's speaking to you this morning, today's the day. Don't put it off. You Don't put it off if God's speaking to you. So would you all join me together today and just let's pray, saying, Dear God, forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me from my unrighteousness. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. Be my Lord and my Savior. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. If you prayed that this morning for the first time, please just uh, um, find me afterwards. Grab me. Tackle me, whatever. So, And Lord, I don't know, maybe there's some of us that are in the, we're in the storm right now. We're in this place saying, God, how are you going to work all this out? It's just not making sense to me right now. Or maybe we're aware of others that are just going through a difficult moment and we're interceding with them, we're praying with them because they just need your hand of healing or intervention. They need you to work in their lives, Lord. And and so, God, we just come as your people. Lord God, you haven't called us to be anxious. You haven't called us to be fretful. You haven't called us to be discouraged. You've called us to be people of faith. You've called us to stand on your promises and you've called us to 
to be a confident, a bold people, Lord God, and to confidently come before your throne of grace in our time of need, Lord. And Lord, that's what I'm calling us to do this morning, to, to not be discouraged, not to be weary, not to give up, Lord, not to be despondent, but Lord God, that we can cry out as the people of God to you, Lord, for the needs that we are aware of that need your touch, that need your answer, Lord God, that need your power. We give you the thanks, we give you the praise. In your name we pray, amen. Let's sing this together. Written off of that psalm at all. It just seems to capture it so well, doesn't it? I want to close with just praying for the people that I know. I'm going to list their names, but maybe you have somebody else you want to include in that list and lift them up. John and Barb, would you join me at the front here? I'm putting you on the spot, but would you, can you come up here? I'm not going to ask you to speak. I just, maybe Barb, not John. Do you mind just coming up here? Our, our, our psalm just talked about past, past God's past faithfulness. So, um, come here, John. So, John, John just doesn't, God did a pretty incredible miracle for John, and he doesn't, um, he doesn't want it to be on him. He wants to be it on the Lord and stuff like that. Um, but Barb, you know, um, seven weeks on the ventilator, seven weeks on the ventilator, only 8% survived that, right? That long? 6% and only 6% of them only get their cognitive back. So 2% get their cognitive abilities back. John's hoping to return back to work in September, which they said would never happen. And um, God's still healing those lungs. But Barb, you know, I, I, pray, I prayed with John's mom quite a bit during this time because Barb was also going through her own recovery. But were there times where you could identify with that psalm? God, where are you at? Where the, yeah. Yeah. And God heard those prayers. God heard those prayers. And um, God hears our prayers this morning. Amen. Woo. Can we just go to God in prayer? Father, this morning we just come before you. Um, we thank you for your past faithfulness. We thank you for what you did with John and Barb. Lord God, you, you rescued them both, Lord God. Um, from this sickness, Lord God, and restore. And we're just praying for continued healing for John, Lord. Complete wholeness and healing, Lord God. And Lord God, some of the other things, just um, all right, going through an illness like that is probably mountains of bills, Lord God. And Lord God, um, God, you know all that too, right? Pray you take care of that. And Lord God, um, I pray right now, Lord God, for Judy that just needs your healing touch, Lord God. I pray for Eric that needs your healing touch. I pray for Adam that needs your healing touch. I pray for Ellie Fotchman that needs your healing touch. I pray for Gary Wallman that needs your healing touch, Lord. Oh God, and there's others here, and people are just going to name them out that, that need your divine healing touch this morning. And God, we just come boldly before you and confidently, Lord God, because you are God that hears us. Lord God, you are God that heals. You are God that answers prayer, Lord God. And even in some of the most difficult moments, Lord God, you are there with us. You never leave us. You never forsake us. Your presence goes with us. And Lord God, we just pray, we lift these needs to you today, Lord God. We thank you for your faithfulness, Lord God. And we give you glory. We give you praise. We give you glory and praise for what you did in John's life and in Barb's life, Lord. 
we give you the glory. We give you the praise that is due your name. Lord God, you are truly holy. You are truly awesome. And we worship you. We magnify you, God. And we ask this in the precious and the wonderful name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Praise God. Greet each other as you leave this morning. And and, uh, just encourage one another. Lift each other up. Amen. God bless.